God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear Abby, this is from her column in the Oregonian newspaper just last Sunday. My husband and I have been married for more than 30 years. We have a problem I can't seem to get past. We didn't have a church wedding because he threatened not to marry me if I demanded one. I went along with him because of my low self-esteem, and I'm still mad and angry about it. He also refuses to take vacations with me because he traveled too much during his career. What can I do? Signed, Pouting in the South. Okay, all you Abby wannabes, what would you tell her, huh? Here's what she said. Dear Pouting, I can't do anything about the church wedding you were denied, but I do have a suggestion. Quit pouting over what you can't change and assume some control over your life. Accept that because you had low self-esteem, you were willing to marry someone self-centered and controlling. Because you have a desire to travel, and I assume can afford to, ask some of your women friends to join you. I'll bet you have a great time sending photos back to your home body hubby. Not a bad answer. Wish we could see into the future, see how that works out for. You know, speaking about how a marriage works out, why did no one tell me about the program on the Lifetime channel that sets two people up to marriage who've never met yet and then follows them to see what happens? I know you've been watching, right? Married at First Sight is in its 14th season. The format was borrowed from a Danish show with the same name. Well, except, you know, in Danish. <laughs> the series features three to five couples who have been paired up by relationship experts. And there's no lack of people to choose from. Over 65,000 people applied to be on the 2020 season. They've all agreed that if chosen for a potential match, they will marry a perfect stranger when they first meet. Couples spend their, their wedding night in a hotel before leaving for the honeymoon. And upon returning home, they live together as a married couple for the remainder of eight weeks. After that, they decide whether to divorce or stay married. Over the first 12 seasons, 44 couples were matched. 27 of them, 61%, chose to stay married on decision day, out of which more than half have since divorced, filed for divorce, or announced their divorce. As of last July, only 13 couples remained married, making for a current overall success rate of just 30%. So much for expert arranged marriages, right? There's really only one qualified expert on the institution of marriage, seeing that he actually instituted it, and that would be God. And it's what a couple of our lessons are all about this morning. You know, marriage expert Groucho Marx once said that instead of getting married again, I'm going to find a woman I don't like and give her a house. <laughs> Something to be said for that, right, considering how we've devalued marriage. I suppose there are others out there who feel the same. Uh, but we're putting the past behind us this morning because any failures in the past have already been forgiven and forgotten by God, right? So how can we do any less than take his advice looking forward? The institution of marriage has been under attack for a long time. An article just last week in the Washington Examiner pointed out that the current draft of the House Reconciliation Bill that they're debating in Congress, that's the, the $3.5 trillion one, um, contains language that would actually take an existing marriage tax penalty and make it even worse, creating even more of a barrier to couples who are considering marriage. In 1960, 
75% of all households included a married couple. And 44% of all households included a married couple with children. The married household was really the foundation of our nation. Today, just 49% of all households include a married couple, and just 19% of them include a married couple with children. You know, there's a movie that you probably watched and enjoyed back when it was released in 2004 and then promptly forgot about. It was called Shall We Dance? It starred Richard Gere and Susan Sarandon, and I think uh, Jennifer Lopez was in it. There's a scene where Mrs. Clark, played by Sarandon, is talking to Mr. Devine, a, a private investigator. She hired him because she suspected that her husband, Richard Gere, was having an affair. Well, when she finds out that he isn't having an affair, he's simply taking dance lessons, she dismisses the detective. But before he leaves, they have the following conversation. Mrs. Clark says, all these promises we make and we break, why is it, do you think, that people get married? And Divine answers, passion. No, she says. Well, that's interesting, Divine goes on, because I would have taken you for a romantic. Why then? And Mrs. Clark answers her own question. Because we need a witness to our lives. There are billions of people on the planet. I mean, you know, what does any one life really mean? But in a marriage, you're promising to care about everything. The good things, the bad things, the terrible things, the mundane things. All of it. All the time. Every day. You're saying your life will not go unnoticed because I will notice it. Your life will not go unwitnessed because I will be your witness. Is that what marriage is all about? Is that why we get married? Is that what we're saying when we promise to love, honor, and obey? You know, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part? Our gospel lesson this morning seems to be more about divorce than marriage. Jesus' nemesis, the Pharisees, uh, have come to our Lord with a, another clever trap. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, they ask? It seems like a legitimate question, but you really have to understand it in context of the the time and the place. Uh, they weren't as concerned about the answer, really, as they worry about uh, undermining Jesus' ministry. If Jesus would answer that divorce was permitted, then they'd be able to accuse him of being soft on the subject. According to Mark, in the verse just before our lesson begins, uh, Mark 10, verse 1, uh, he tells us that this conversation is taking place in Judea beyond the Jordan. That was King Herod's jurisdiction. And you'll see in a moment how it shows their evil intent to get the Lord in trouble with him. Rather than being trapped by their question, Jesus turns the tables on them like he usually does. And he says, what did Moses command you? Well, Moses permitted, they say, to a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. They're pointing to Deuteronomy 24, which is really more about remarriage than divorce, but it was still pretty harsh. Under Jewish law, a man really could divorce his wife that easily hand her a letter and point her toward the door for something as simple as whatever he considered to be obnoxious. A wife had no such rights. On the other hand, Roman law uh, allowed either the husband or the, right, or the wife to uh, write a certificate of divorce. That's how John the Baptist lost his head in this very same region under this very same king. He condemned King Herod for marrying his brother's wife, Herodias. She divorced her husband, and he divorced his wife so they could marry each other. 
Everybody played pretty loose back then, and no one really seemed to have a problem with it. Sort of like today, I guess, where most divorces are no fault, can cost as little as $150, and can be finalized in as little as 30 days in some states. Since the text they quoted is really about, more about remarriage than divorce, Jesus brings this whole conversation back around to what they really should be talking about. Not divorce, not the past, not a person's past mistakes or bad choices or, or, or just plain bad luck, but healthy marriages and healthy relationships between men and women, what God wants for us all along. Jesus goes on to explain how God recognized that even among his chosen people, there were going to be those who would harden their hearts to God's will for marriage, who wouldn't take it seriously, who wouldn't even try. He says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Moses' command was never meant to encourage divorce, but rather to protect those who might be harmed by the failure of a spouse to recognize the sanctity of marriage. I mean, if God's only intention was for us to get it right, like some kind of test, you know, wouldn't Jesus have avoided having anything to do with people who had somehow gotten it wrong? Well, no, of course not. He once had a conversation with a woman he'd never met when they bumped into each other at the village well. In his conversation with her, he revealed that she'd been married five times and that she wasn't even married to the man she was currently living with. What did he do? He offered her living water, the water of life that comes from knowing Jesus along with his complete forgiveness and a fresh start. Another time, he came across a woman about to be stoned for adultery. Did he pick up a rock? No, he intervened to save her life, and then he forgave her, admonishing her not to do it again. Jesus knew all about human weakness, and no one was ever more accepting or, or compassionate than he was. So rather than expound on the ins and outs of divorce, Jesus talks about the institution of marriage. He takes them all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, the creation of man and woman. That's really where the lesson this morning begins, or the heart of the lesson, I guess. Listen to what Jesus says. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. <clears throat> First thing we need to understand about marriage is that it's a concept that was created by God. Now, God knew something was missing after he created Adam that he was somehow incomplete. And so God created Eve, and he brought them together as husband and wife. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. Now, there's a scene in the, the original, the first, very first Rocky movie that, where Paulie, his future brother-in-law, is trying to understand what Rocky sees in his kind of plain Jane sister. Uh, I don't see it, he says. What's the attraction? Rocky says... You know, she's got gaps. I got gaps. Together, we fill the gaps. That's some pretty astounding insight. Now, Rocky had stumbled upon a great truth. He was saying that he and Adrian both had empty places in their lives. But when the two of them got together, they filled each other's gaps. When God looked at Adam, the pinnacle of everything he created, he saw some gaps. He said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Marriage is an institution created by God, an institution meant for one man and one woman to become one flesh. 
We may have turned it into more of a legal contract for lots of reasons these days, but that was never God's original intent. In spite of our struggles to get it right and then keep it right, Jesus died for all that too. Marriage was intended to be a lifelong union. It wasn't done to please your parents. It wasn't done without lots of forethought. It was never meant to be entered into lightly and without great commitment. God would join a man and a woman in a union of love and trust and faithfulness, one which only God has the right to end. What God has joined together, let not man separate, Jesus said. I guess another way of saying that was that, is that God was, is deadly serious about marriage. And when it works, it's a beautiful thing, right? You know, since 1981, filmmaker Ken Burns has produced some of the most acclaimed historical documentaries ever. I counted 38 that you can stream right now on PBS. His newest one, uh, called Muhammad Ali, was just released on September 19th. You know, take a break from Netflix if you haven't seen any of them uh, and watch some of his work online. Uh, it's, it's great stuff. It's not only interesting, uh, it's really informative. He's known for his use of archival footage and documents and photographs. Uh, the one he did on the Civil War just brought it to life for me. When he was researching this, that series, a professor sent him a little-known letter written by a, a Rhode Island soldier. In July of 1861, Union soldier Sullivan Ballou had a premonition that he might not survive the next battle. And so he wrote these words to his wife, Sarah. The indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days perhaps tomorrow. Lest I should not be able to write again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence could break. And yet my love of country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me irresistibly with all these chains to the battlefield. The memories of all the blissful moments I've spent with you come crawling over me, and I feel most gratified to God and to you that I have enjoyed them so long. And hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years, when, God willing, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our sons grow up to honorable manhood around us. If I do not return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you nor that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Forgive my many faults and the many pains I have caused you. How thoughtless, how foolish I have sometimes been. But, oh, Sarah, if the dead can come back to this earth and flit unseen around those they love, I shall always be near you in the brightest day and the darkest night. Always, always. And when the soft breeze fans your cheek, it shall be my breath, or the cool air, your throbbing temple. It shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Think I am gone and wait for thee, for we shall meet again. It's great, isn't it? I should probably ask the ushers to pass out the Kleenex now. <laughs> Sullivan Ballou was killed uh, seven days later in the first Battle of Bull Run. Uh, Sarah Ballou is said to have never remarried. You know, how far have we come from God's design to a reality show whose, whose entire concept makes a mockery of, of this God-created institution? Do we just live in such a different time now, so self-absorbed that those 
Three little words, just eight letters, I love you, are so rarely expressed with such heartfelt feeling, with such deep emotion. I guess for one thing, we just don't write letters anymore. And I guess for another, couples rarely make the time to talk to each other face to face. Marriage is a commitment, but it should be a prayerful commitment, a commitment made before God. As Christians, we shouldn't be surprised to find that there's a tremendously high correlation between marital happiness and the intimate act of praying together. I hope this doesn't come as a surprise to you, but no successful relationship is purely the result of blind love. Even a marriage made in heaven needs a little maintenance on earth. Like the woman who sought the advice of a fortune teller and was told, prepare yourself for widowhood. Your husband is about to die a violent death. The wife sighed deeply and then asked, will I be acquitted? <laughs> you know, you won't find any perfect marriages in the Bible either. Even Joseph had a plan to divorce Mary when she turned up pregnant with the baby Jesus. But God is a God of love and a God of forgiveness and restoration and strength. And through that love and by his grace, a good marriage is possible. People really can commit themselves to one another and mean it. People can learn by Jesus' own example to forgive one another. And if Christ is at the center of that marriage, if it reflects the kind of unselfish, forgiving, servant sort of love that he showed us when he suffered and died on a cross to take away all our sins, then that couple's love for each other can be a reflection of Christ's love for us. And it'll be an example. And it'll be a blessing, not only to, to the husband and wife, but to God's kingdom as well, just as he meant it to be. Amen. Now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll take a moment now to receive your gifts, your tithes, and